the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Saul seeks out Samuel's help to find some lost animals and God uses the meeting to tell him he is chosen to be Israel's king. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 1. The title of the message is... A humble start. First Samuel 10. Israel demanded that Samuel give them a king, and God chose one for them, a man who literally stood head and shoulders above his fellow Israelis, Saul. And God, we saw in chapter 9, that he orchestrated events that connected Saul and Samuel together. And after being Samuel's guest of honor, Saul prepares to go home. But Samuel told Saul, send your servant on forward, and he pulls him aside. He wants to have a private conversation with him. And in those words, we'll see things are set in motion for Saul to become king. And because Saul humbles himself, in that time, God gives him a new heart. So chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, Lessons from the Heart. It says in verse 1, Then Samuel took a vial of oil, and he poured it upon his head, Saul's head, and kissed him, and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you to be captain over his inheritance? And when you are departed from me today, then you shall find two men by Rachel's sepulcher on the border of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say unto you, The donkeys which you went to seek are found. And lo, your father has left the care of the donkeys, and he sorrows for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Well, then shall you go on forward from there, and you shall come to the plain of Tabor, and there shall meet you three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive of their hands. And after that you shall come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass that when you are come thither to the city, that you shall meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place, with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you shall prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. Let it be when these signs are come unto you that you do as occasion serve you, for God is with you. Here we see this private conversation that Samuel has with Saul. And it starts off with Samuel anointing Saul. It says, then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you to be captain over his inheritance? 
Now, anointing with oil symbolized being supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. Prior to this event with Saul, only two things had been anointed with oil. The priests were anointed with oil, their garments were, and then also their bodies, they were anointed before they put on their priestly garments. But the tabernacle had also been anointed with this special oil as well. So what's interesting is now that Samuel anoints the person who's going to be the king with oil, Samuel is showing that Israel's monarchy is a divine institution. This is not something that's created by men. Now, this is important because remember, why did Israel ask for a king? We want to be like all the other nations. And the Lord says, I'll give you a king, but you're not going to be like all the other nations. This is something I'm going to set up. It will be my terms, my rules, my way. I'm not going to allow something that was created by men to exist in this monarchy. And that's important because we're going to find that oftentimes when these kings, they act in ways that are like all the other nations do, that God is displeased. And we're going to see at the end of the chapter that Samuel's going to sit down with Saul and the leaders of the nation and explain how this is going to work under God's care. It's not going to be like everyone else does it. So it's important to understand that this is a divine institution, not something that God's just going to let them do how they want. Secondly, we see here that he kissed him. Saul would need that anointing, that power from the Lord to be a good king, but he would also need the support of friends. And Samuel is showing Saul that his heart is toward him in this task, even though he had been opposed to the idea of a monarchy. And Samuel, Saul, I'm not opposed to you. I want you to succeed. I want you to do well. I'm on your side. Now, Saul still probably doesn't exactly understand what's going on. So Samuel spells it out clearly in this third thing he does. And he says, is it not because the Lord has anointed you to be captain over his inheritance? The phrase, is it not, means do you still not understand why I'm doing this? Have you still not figured it out? The Lord has anointed you to be captain. means the official status of governing and leading. He has anointed you to be the ruler over his inheritance, his possession, his property. Again, Saul makes something very clear that this will be different. He says it's not going to be like other kingdoms. He makes it clear that Israel belongs to the Lord, not to Saul. These are not his people to do with as he pleases. And, you know, and that's the job of all governing authorities. All governing authorities are actually stewards of something that belongs to God. People. People. He's the one that made them. They belong to him. So in whatever capacity of authority you find yourself in, whether you're a parent, an employer, whether you lead a ministry or you serve in government, the people you lead do not belong to you. They are his inheritance. There are two sides to that. One is a very humbling thought whenever God calls you to lead something because if you're a parent, God gives you kids, it should humble you. I remember me and Beverly had had so much good training on parenting and so much good training on on marriage because we were in a good church. So we went in feeling very prepared. And you know, of course, you learn you can only be so much prepared for marriage. But the thing that really blew me away was having kids. Because I couldn't imagine that this little tiny thing that couldn't even talk with me correctly had its own personality, had its own wishes, its own desires, and frequently they ran against my wishes and desires. And it's important in that moment to recognize they belong to the Lord. It's humbling. But it's also awesome to know that that also means you and I belong to the Lord. We are his inheritance. One of the things that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus is that they would know what it is to be his inheritance. 
that he would know what the inheritance of the saints is, that his inheritance in the saints. You know, the Lord, he is not embarrassed by you being a part of the kingdom. It's not like, well, I was hoping you wouldn't get saved, but I guess you did, so we've got to let you in. But he's not embarrassed by you. He's not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. The Lord is pleased that you are his inheritance. So those are two sides of that coin that I think it's important for us to understand. Now, from the other side, again, the humbling aspect that they are his inheritance, they aren't mine, they aren't yours, that means you and I will give an account of how well or how poorly we care for those that God entrusts to us, to our leadership. Because that's what a leader's job is, is to care for those they lead. The very nature of the word, like even pastor, we talk about spiritual authority or spiritual leadership. The word pastor, it means shepherd. That's what it means. It means someone who shepherds God's people. What did a shepherd do? He cared for the sheep. He led the sheep, loved the sheep, fed the sheep, cared for the sheep. Jesus, when he was talking to Peter, what did he say to him? If you love me, feed my sheep, tend my little lambs. That's what a leader's job is to care for, is to do, is to care for those they lead. And you and I do that in whatever capacity we're leading, by serving, by being a good example, and by seeking the Lord about what direction is best. Now, I think Saul's wondering, still wondering, how can this be? How can I be the the ruler over God's inheritance? And so Samuel proves the truth of his words by keeping his promise. Remember, he had told Saul earlier that before Saul became his guest of honor, he said, I'll tell you where the donkeys are, but first you got to come be my guest of honor. So while Saul's wondering, how can this still be? How can this be? How can I be the king? Samuel proves the truth of his words by keeping that promise to reveal where the donkeys are. And in doing so, Samuel reveals three signs that will confirm this call from God to Saul. He says in verse 2, the first sign, when you are departed from me today, then you shall find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say unto you, the donkeys which you went to seek, they are found. And lo, your father has left the care of the donkeys. Now he sorrows for you, saying, what shall I do for my son? He says, the first sign you're going to find is you're going to run into two guys with knowledge of your found donkeys. I know you've been looking for days, but you're going to actually run into two guys randomly who know that the donkeys have been found, and they're going to let you know this. The phrase there, when you're departed, you shall find, the word there means to meet by chance, seemingly by chance. Of course, none of this is by chance, according to the Lord. And they will be by Rachel's tomb, which means this is somewhere between Bethel and Bethlehem. We don't know for sure where Rachel's tomb is. When we go to Israel, there's someone who will take lots of your money to show you where the real one is. But We don't know for sure where the real tomb of Rachel is. It's somewhere between Bethel and Benjamin is what Jacob described. But that's where back then they knew where it was. And so as a result, that's where you're going to find these two guys. And they're going to tell you the donkeys which you went to seek, they are found. And now your father, he has left the care of the donkeys. In other words, the phrase left the care means he stopped talking about the donkeys. He's not talking to people about, oh, the donkeys are lost. And now, what is he talking about? Well, he sorrows for you. The word sorrows there means to have a fear or a dread that produces worry. He is worried sick about you. You need to get home, saying, what shall I do for my son? Now, this was the original reason that Saul and his servant sought out Samuel. Remember, they couldn't find the donkeys, and the servant said, hey, there's a man of God, the town nearby. But Samuel doesn't just give them that information. He gives them more miraculous information. So now we come to sign number two in verse three. Then, after 
this happens that I'm predicting will happen. Then shall you go on forward from there and you shall come to the plain of Tabor and there shall meet you three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three goats, one another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a bottle of wine. And they're going to salute you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive of their hands. Now, the word for plain there, the plain of Tabor, there is no plain of Tabor. The word plain just means a large, prominent tree. Now, you need to understand something. Because Israel's a desert area, for the most part, large, prominent trees are important landmarks because of the shade they provide. So they gave them names frequently. So this particular tree that was at Tabor, he says, when you get there, there shall meet you three men going up to God at Bethel. Now, why are they going to God at Bethel? Well, with no Ark of the Covenant at the tabernacle presently, the two are separated right now still, people turn to other meaningful locations from their history to worship the Lord. Bethel was one of the most well-known locations from Israel's past known for worship. Bethel was the place where Abraham built his first altar to the Lord when he came to the promised land. It's also where Abraham returned to rededicate his life to the Lord after he'd gone down to Egypt and blundered with Sarah. Remember, he went down there and he said, you know, tell everybody you're my sister because they'll kill me since you're still a very attractive lady. He said to her, tell them you're my sister. And so she did. And as a result, people said, well, this, this is an incredibly attractive woman. Pharaoh is an unmarried woman. Take her under your harem. So Pharaoh did. So, I mean, Abraham's stock shot up, but it put, obviously, his wife in an awkward spot, and it put Pharaoh in a place where the Lord was not pleased with what he had done because he'd taken another man's wife. And so when Pharaoh found out about this, he confronted Abraham and sent him away, tail between his legs. And so when Abraham got back to the promised land, he went right back to Bethel, and he went there and worshiped the Lord and rededicated his life to following the Lord. So this is a very special place in Israel's history. Sadly, it would become an idolatrous place when the nation split into two kingdoms. And Bethel was one of the locations for the golden calves that King Jeroboam set up in the northern kingdom. So they went there to worship. And he says, when you find these three guys, they're going to salute you, which means to ask how you're doing. Now, remember that Saul and his servant were out of supplies when they went looking for Samuel. They couldn't offer anything to him. So they were doing pretty lean at this point. They didn't have supplies. So he tells me, he says, when they find out you don't have anything, they're going to supply some of your needs. So that's going to be the second sign. Well, verse five, now we're going to get to the third sign. And after that, the second sign, you shall come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass when you are come thither to the city They shall meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place, and it's got all these manner of instruments. Now, the hill of God, the phrase, the word here, hill, literally is the word Gebeah. It means hill, but Gebeah is Saul's hometown. It was later on called Gebeah of God after Saul became king, since God had chosen the king to come from Saul's hometown. So after you shall come to Gebeah of God, when you come home, Where is the garrison of the Philistines? Now, the garrison is a military camp. So though Samuel had led Israel to a major victory over the Philistines five years earlier, Israel did not capture any Philistine land. They only recaptured their own land. So Saul, where he lived, it was right on the edge of contested land. That's how he lived all the time. This was always a very tense place. And yet, when he comes back, he's going to see this garrison, but it's not going to be tension he finds from his hometown. He's going to find this, he's going to meet this procession 
company of prophets. The word company there means a procession. It's not just a traveling procession, but it it means a religious parade. He's going to find this religious parade being led or being consisting of these prophets. Now, I mentioned this earlier in our study of 1 Samuel, but the Levites were originally God's designed group to teach the people the word of God, to teach them the law. But what happened? We studied all throughout the book of Judges, what were the Levites doing? They were constantly forsaking their responsibilities because the people weren't taking care of them. And so because their needs weren't being met, they forsook their responsibilities and they tried to find their way and provide for themselves doing other things. And we find compromised Levite after compromised Levite after compromised Levite. Well, even when the nation returned to God, the Levites never really ever, ever embraced their responsibilities to teach the word of God to the people. And so Samuel, he raised up this group. He trained up a group of people. He opened these schools that he called schools of prophets. They were known as the sons of the prophets. And these men were trained preachers from these schools. So he sees this religious parade with these trained preachers coming down the hill, it says, from the high place, from the worship center that was in his hometown. And it it says with a psaltery, a psaltery is just a a stringed instrument similar to a guitar, with a tabret, a tambourine, with a pipe, which is a flute, and then a harp, which strangely enough is a harp, before them. So there's music, there's worship going before this parade of preachers, and they're going to prophesy. So there's going to be music first, and then they'll stop the music for a bit, and then they're going to preach. And they're just going to travel and do this. This is what they're doing. So... This group had come from a worship service up at Gabeah, Saul's hometown, and now they're taking it to the next location. But they don't wait until they get there. They continue playing their instruments, continue singing, and continue teaching as they go. So it's kind of like a traveling church service. It's pretty interesting. And as the parade approaches, Samuel says, the Lord's going to empower you, Saul, to participate in it. It says, verse 6, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And you will prophesy with them and shall be turned into another man. Now, I think it's important that Samuel mentions the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you, Saul, because remember, he had anointed him with oil, and that symbolized that idea of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon you. Well, how does Saul know that's true? Or he's about to find out. The word here, a phrase here, to come upon, it means to have an overpowering force replace a common force. I like that you and I are very common forces. It doesn't mean we don't have any skill sets. It doesn't mean we don't have any abilities. It doesn't mean we don't have any force, but we are very common forces. Frequently, I'll have people come to me and they're a little bit of a panic at times. I felt this way many occasions as well. And they say, Pastor Will, you know, I was talking to somebody and I didn't know how to answer their questions. And I think, or their, their points that they brought up about Christianity or about the Lord, whatever. And, and I think, oh, yeah. welcome to the club. You're always going to run into someone who has more skill than you or has more education than you, more information than you. Just because you lost one argument or you didn't have an answer to some, what someone brought up doesn't mean they're right, <laughs> okay? That doesn't mean they're right. I'm always fascinated by public speakers and politicians and their ability to rattle off certain phrases and then look at you like, see, it's all over now. This is just how it is. And it's like, time out. First off, I don't get a chance to respond. And, then, and secondly, just even if you have a good point, that doesn't make you the end-all be-all. There's nothing wrong with having to go and say, you know, I need to go back and get more information. 
We may have skill sets, but you're always going to run into someone who has more skill sets. There's always going to be someone out there who has more skill sets than you. That's why it's so important that we don't operate in our own skill sets. We operate in supernatural skill sets. You know, I remember, what is it, the text from John chapter 9, where you've got the man who was born blind, and they're questioning him, questioning him, questioning him, questioning him. And finally he goes, you know, why do you keep asking me the same questions? He goes, is it because you want to be his disciple too? Oh, and that made them so mad. He said, who are you to say that to us? We follow Moses. We're educated. We're trained. We have all the information. We know the scriptures. And you're just a, you were born in sin. You lecture us. Oh. And they tell him, they say, glorify the Lord. Because, you know, we know this man is not from God. I love the guy's answer. He goes, listen, whether this guy is a prophet or not, I don't know. All I know is this. I used to be blind and now I can see. And has it ever been told that someone opened the eyes of the blind without the Lord? I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he's saying. Have you ever known somebody to do that? They're dumbfounded. The only choice they had was to excommunicate him because they had nothing to say. This is a guy who's not educated, doesn't have the skill set to go to battle with these guys, but something's changed in his life and he's responded to it. And the Holy Spirit revealed something to him, put something in his heart. And so... I love it. Here we see Saul who's not trained. He's not schooled. He's not educated in how to be a preacher. And yet the Holy Spirit will be that overpowering force to replace his common force. If God's calling you to something, don't ever say no because you say, well, I don't have the right skill set for that. I don't think I'll succeed. Well, you're right. You won't succeed if you're going to tackle it on your own. But if the Lord's calling you where God guides, he provides, right? If he calls you to something, he equips you to do it. I'm living proof of that. And so he tells him, he says, Saul, you're not going to watch this parade and think to yourself, I've got something to say as well, but I'm not so sure if this is the place. No, Saul's going to suddenly become empowered by the Spirit of God to do something he could not have done before. And he's going to, he's going to walk right out there and he's going to join him. And he tells him, you shall be turned into another man. The word there, turned, means to be changed, to be transformed. Now, All of us here have a story, right? I mean, if you're born again, you have a story, some type of story. Your story might not be as dramatic as Saul's. There was a parade of prophets and you joined them all of a sudden. But many of us have had moments in our lives where decisions were made to yield to the Lord and you were never the same afterward. You know, we have those moments where we, my old pastor used to call it driving a stake, driving a stake in the ground where you're you're saying, "I'm, I'm going forward from this point. I'm never going back beyond this place again. Probably all of us here have something like that in our lives. And some of you may have had multiple times in your life where you've kind of made that decision to yield to the Lord and your life was never, ever the same. You know, I remember, well, this isn't sharing too much information, but I was kind of the guy that chased the girls when I was younger. They were never being caught, but I was kind of, that was the way I was as a teenager. I des- I was a young, young kid. I desperately wanted to be married. Other kids wanted to grow up and do this, that, or other thing. I wanted a wife. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a family and pursued it in all the wrong ways. So I was the guy who was always chasing the girls, never caught one. And I remember the moment when the Lord grabbed hold of my heart. I was probably about 15 years old and I'd come off a couple disappointing situations where I had pursued a couple girls. And I think I was 15 years old 
maybe 16 years old. I can't remember exactly. And I came to the Lord as a young believer. And I said to him, I said, Lord, I'm done. I'm done looking for happiness and, and acceptance and, and companionship and, and trying to solve my loneliness problem. All I want is you. And I'm going to pursue you with all my heart from this moment forward. I want to be a different person. Now, when you, you go like that, you're pursuing all these things for the wrong reasons, with the wrong heart. It creates problems. And I had a massive lust problem at that point in my life as a young man, young teenager. And I remember things were different after that. Those problems started to go away. And the next six months of my life were a period of intense growth. I was never the same person again. People around me, they thought, you know, what's happened to Will? And a particular young lady started to notice me a little bit. It was six months later when I wasn't looking at all for a girlfriend or anything that Beverly and I, we had been friends before that, but we became very, very close friends. And we've been dating ever since. But you probably have stories like that too. It doesn't have to be dramatic like Saul's where you were prophesying with a bunch of Bible college students or something like that or ministers. But you have moments when you drove a stake and you said, Lord, I'm making a change. And it's not so much that you made the change, but you made a decision to yield to the Lord and then he changed you, right? And that's what happened to Saul here. In this moment, Saul would finally buy in to God's call for his life. And instead of living life on his own terms, he'd make a choice to live a supernatural life in service to the Lord. And anytime you do that, you know, whether it's with a specific area of your life or with your entire life, anytime you make that type of decision, you're never the same afterwards. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Strong on me will save. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.